This podcast is brought to you by Alliance Motor Auctions. Has your car shit itself? Then you've got to go with Alliance. It's the easiest way to buy a quality car at a very competitive price. Located in Moorbank, New South Wales. Call 02-9822-7200 or visit www.allianceauctions.com.au South Coast Window Furnishings. Have your window furnishings shit themselves? Then you've got to get in touch with SCWF. They service the south coast of New South Wales from Wollongong to Bermagui. Give Jamie a call for a free quote on 0408 812 007 or like them on Facebook at South Coast Window Furnishings. Elite Sports Physiotherapy. Has your back or another part of your body shit itself? Then look no further than ESP. Established in 2006, Elite Sports Physiotherapy provides physiotherapy and massage services to the people of Melbourne. Located on the mezzanine level, 13-15-1 Freshwater Place in Southbank, Melbourne. Give them a call on 03-8640-0328 or visit elitesportsphysio.com.au today. Also, special thanks to verse.com.au for putting the finishing touches on this podcast. Cheers. G'day there. Thanks for tuning in. This is the second of my Edinburgh Fringe 2019 editions of Taking It Easy. My guest this week is Aboriginal comedian Steph Tisdall. Steph's over here performing with the Aboriginal Comedy All-Stars. We caught up for a chat. We talked about all sorts of things. We talked about her upbringing, uh, how she overcome anxiety, uh, her travels, how she got into stand-up comedy, and how the Edinburgh Fringe has been for her. This is Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Steph Tisdall, thanks for taking it easy with me today. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you very much for having me. No worries. Thanks for being on the podcast. Uh, We currently sit in your Airbnb here in the Meadows in Edinburgh, United Mm -hmm. Kingdom. You're here performing as a part of the Aboriginal Comedy All-Stars. Yes, indeed. Uh, Pretty much nearly to the end of the festival now, but you guys have been having a ripper run, selling out pretty much every show. Yeah. How's it been for you? It's been pretty mental, to be honest. (laughs) This is one of those weird things where we all kind of said before we came here, we were like, you watch, we'll be better received over here by white people. <laughs> and that's good because I don't feel that same guilt, mm-hmm. right? Which means we can go home and then white people back home will go, oh, are the white people approved? Let's right. go and see it. That'll be interesting. Mm. Do you think? I hope that happens for you. So it feels like we're really kind of doing some advocacy. Yeah, right. Mm. So did, have you been speaking to many people after the shows, like crowd people? Have they been yeah. coming to chat with you? Yes. So every after every show, we come out and we bring out our little banners that we brought from Australia and yeah. say, anybody want to get photos? And we just give hugs to everybody who's right. been to the show, um, which is very nice. And I think it also makes a really nice, like, it feels like the show is fully ended for them. And yeah. Like, do you do that? Do you shake hands with everyone? I do, yeah. I give out fridge magnets at the end of my show. Nice, for uh, free. Yeah, just give out like a little fridge magnet. That's nice. Shake the hand, say thanks for coming. Mm. Uh, I think it's nice. I think it's nice to say thank you. Do you give hugs? Um, if they want a hug, I would. I, I don't go for it myself. No, do you, you go for it yourself? Yeah, well, every time. Really? Just straight for the hug? I love hugs. No, I usually <laughs> handshake, but I do like hugs. Then pull it in. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. If I can, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, how have you found the just – Edinburgh is a bit of a beast, isn't it? Like compared yeah. to 
Australian festivals are fantastic. Mm. Uh, I just feel Edinburgh is a bit more full on. It's like mm. all our festivals on steroids. There's so much going on every day. You're probably doing Absolutely. spots at 11 a.m. You're doing spots at one in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, how have you found that? Just the months, oh, oh, three weeks of that so far. It's been pretty hectic. <laughs> yeah. um, like I think I'm getting all right at it now, but it's this like odd thing. I think actually the weirdest thing, to be honest, is I don't drink back home. No. I have drank more. I've drank every single day of this <laughs> festival. I've drank more in the last three weeks than I have in the last two and a half years, and that's not even an exaggeration. Right. Because it's just part of the culture here. Mm. And then, but the amount of times that I've like gigs at fucking midnight, yeah, three a.m. I did late and live. Have you done that? I yet? did that last night, yeah. about seven hours ago from where we sit right now. How <laughs> yeah. was it? It was well. It was Sunday night, so it was. It was a little bit tough to get a crowd in. There was only about 45, 50 people there. Mm. They were fine. Uh, but I tell you what, it's hard to get your body clock and get you mentally up because yep. I was on stage at about 1.50 a.m. Mm. And I was just um, – Did you was, get hammered beforehand? No. No, I went. I actually went home. Really? <laughs> a little snooze and came oh, back God. out again. See, this is my problem is if I go home, I can't come back out again. Yeah, right. It was so, hard to get up and come back. Yeah, yeah, right. And you're like, really? I have to do this 10 minute. Mm. So I did it. And it was, it was actually so much fun because we ended up. I ended up staying out until seven thirty in the morning. Yeah, when I did late in life, <laughs> and then I was meant. To, <laughs> I know, and I meant to do it on Saturday night, but I was really sick, so I couldn't. But before I stepped on stage, when I did it, <laughs> the MC goes, "Oh, there's some sleeping cunt in the corner. Everyone, throw your drinks on him!" and like people were just <laughs> all rushing to the corner and throwing beers on this guy. What? Yeah. Proper. Did he wake up? Yeah, but he was like so drunk. <laughs> and then that's how I stepped on stage. And I was like, yeah. hello. But then also the highlight of my entire fringe happened that night because the girl who was on before me, I have no idea why I should find the or I'll just tell you to find it later on. Yeah. Um <laughs> I don't know why this happened, but the um a parody of the Jurassic Park theme song played on like a harmonica <laughs> was her sting, like her walk-on music. <laughs> it was like... <laughs> and she just walked on like... And then at side of stage, I was at like properly crying with laughter. And somebody goes, oh, did we get to choose our walk-on music? <laughs> Who would choose that shit? Yeah. And then um, the producer ran over to the side <laughs> to where the sound person was and went, never use that again. <laughs> Delete it. And I was just was so funny. <laughs> Imagine walking onto that yeah. far out. Uh, I've heard of people walking down the aisle to the Jurassic Park. Really? That really? Yeah. yeah. Interesting stuff. Absolutely. Uh, you're doing the show with uh, Kevin Crepinuri and mm-hmm. Andy Saunders, mm-hmm. uh, the fantastic Aboriginal acts from Australia. How have you found uh, h- handling those boys over here? They both great fellas. Yeah. How's the dynamic going in the in the three way show? Honestly, we are like they call me their little sister. <laughs> I'll call them either my mentors, my uncles, my older brothers. <laughs> yeah. Like honestly, they're yeah. just. But we're like family. Like we have. Um, Andy loves. I'm actually so spoiled, by the way. I'm really messy, but like Andy loves cooking, and right. Kev has to clean to feel better. Right. So I'm just like it's the perfect scenario. It's it literally is. <laughs> and then I've I've just flown my boyfriend over, so my boyfriend's here with me, and he also likes cleaning. So my room is spotless. <laughs> the whole house is spotless. I'm living a dream. I couldn't ask for better. That's all working out well then. I know, but they're they're really lovely men, and um. 
like they're very inspiring. I think we're all super passionate about. I think I think the com- like the belief that we all hold is kind of, and you know, it, I guess it, it might seem silly because I, I don't know how you feel about comedy or I know people have said I take it a bit too seriously, but it's because it's it's way bigger than comedy for us. Yeah, it's about visibility. It's about having voices that are telling the truth in a position where people are listening or mm. actively going out of their way do you know what i mean absolutely and um, is this has, has there been an uh, aboriginal comedy all-stars come to edinburgh before no so the first time um craig quartermain came with a solo show i mm-hmm. believe a couple of years ago um and uh like juki mala yeah and um a couple of like circus shows and theater shows have come to edinburgh but i think the difference is the difference with this is we're like, hey, we're the best of the best. Mm. We all get along so well. We've really honed this show to yeah. um, have a certain kind of message that is not just a individual message. It's kind of all of our stories, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, and um, then mm. you know, kids back home if they have an interest in the stand up, young Aboriginal kids, they can see that that that's possible. Exactly. Let's get to Edinburgh. Yeah. Exactly. And it, you know what? It's so cool because I remember when I first started working with. With Kev, because I met them at um, Deadly Funny, and he kind of said to me, like he gave me a couple of opportunities, um, and then I just felt like I was so grateful, and I was like, oh, how can I repay you for this? Because unlike most other people in showbiz or whatever, they they knew that I was struggling. I had no money, right? right. So if if I did a gig for them instead of them taking a cut, they'd just give me. All the money. Oh, great. Because they knew that I needed it. So yeah. it was kind of like, well, we help each other out. Mm. And then, you know, I said, oh, how can I ever pay this back? And Kev said something really beautiful because he said, you know, like, you don't owe us anything. Um, we didn't give you anything. We left a door ajar for you and invited you to walk through. Yeah. It's up to you whether you take that step. And he said, however, if you do take that step, there's only one thing that I ask, and that's leave the door ajar behind you. And so now with... Uh, last year's Deadly Funny winner, I kind of mentor him and get him like, get him spots and yep. like help him with his material. And he's doing the same for a young fellow oh, who's just turned nineteen. That's so. excellent, isn't it? Mm. Passing it on exactly, that and, and that's part of the whole. That's our whole mm. mission and culture of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. And did Kev also say if you are messy, I'll clean up after you? Is that one of his things? <laughs> <laughs> that just happened. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Uh, so you've been doing stand-up for a little while now. I want to go back to pre-stand-up, your mm. pre-stand-up life. Whereabouts did you grow up? I was born in Mount Isa. Okay, yeah. And then we moved away. We moved to Brisbane when I was about six or seven. Um, so I pretty much grew up in Brisbane. Queenslander? Yeah, Queenslander. Mm. Where are you from? New South Wales. Where from in New South Wales? Uh, Batemans Bay, south coast. I didn't think that you were a city boy. Nah, no, yeah. South, yeah. Yeah, seemed like a country fella. Yeah. Um, Batemans Bay, why have I heard of that? It's like um, th- about three hours down from Sydney, two hours down from Nowra. I'd drive through that if I was driving through to Melbourne, right? If you went the coast road. I think I've probably, yeah, I always drive down to Melbourne. Yeah. For the, yeah. Then like after that's like uh, Bega, Marimbula? Yes. Yeah. Marimbula, that's why I know it. Marimbula, my cousin lives in Marimbula. All oh, right. That's a beautiful place. Eh? Beautiful part of the world. God's country, they call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Every, everyone says that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You see where I'm from, man. Yeah. Rainforest. <laughs> so, where, so whereabouts did you uh, go to high school? Where was your high schooling down? I went to Albany Creek State High School, which is on the north side of Brisbane. Um, and I had a pretty shit um, reputation. But I loved it, man. I fucking loved school. 
What was you? What were you? Uh, not to be messed with. What was your reputation there? Oh my god, no! I was like the drama kid. Like, okay, yeah. which I'm so embarrassed about, by the way. <laughs> um, no, and the teachers had always been making me do. I was just everyone's friend. I just mm. had no shame, you know. The teachers That's had always been making thing. me do all the extracurricular shit. Yeah. Yeah. I so. Was, you- like a class clown sort of? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 100%. So you had the performing in you from a long time ago? I guess so. Well, yeah, I think I was just um, – I actually hate saying that. Like I feel really weird saying – I guess that was just always funny, but I think I was. <laughs> I didn't think – you know what I mean, but yeah. um, I'd always be out there trying to make everyone laugh. So yeah. I love drama. And uh, post-school, did you go and study anything at university? What, what did you want to do yeah. once you finished high school? Drama was obviously – No. No? Uh, like when I was little, when I was little I did dance and acting and I was like, I'm going to be an actress <laughs> and a dancer. <laughs> but by the time I finished school, um, I – do you remember that show Foreign Correspondent? Yeah. That was like my favourite show. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I wanted to be a foreign correspondent. Really? Get out yeah. across the other side of the world and – Absolutely. I was like, Mum, I'm going to learn Mandarin and Arabic. Yeah. And I'm going to – like stand up for injustices in the world mm. and pop a helmet on and a yeah. bloody bulletproof vest. Off Literally, you go. that to me was like my dream. And then um, I don't know if you know, there's a girl called Tanya Major. Heard the name, yeah. Yeah. So she's a um, she was she won Australian of the Year like when I was in grade twelve or something. Um, she's an Indigenous right near where I'm from. Actually, she's an Indigenous um, lawyer that was doing a lot for you know, our people, mm. and I was like, oh, my God, maybe I'll be a lawyer. And yeah. I just had, like, all of these ideas, but it, it all centred around the fact that I just wanted to do advocacy just for people who didn't have much of a voice. Mm. And my mum actually owns an international aid organisation. I was about to say, where, I was about to ask, where, did you, where do you think you got that drive mm. from? So that's yeah. clearly, yeah, so it's come from your So mum, I'd say probably dad. ever since I was about 16, every 6 to 12 months up until probably I was 21 or 22, um, I'd be travelling to all wacky, weird places in the world. Um, like, I mean, seriously, like fucking remote areas. Of and world, not just Australia. No, world. the world, yeah. Yeah, right. So, um, oh, you know, we lived in a Maasai village for a while. and But the whole thing was it's all very corrupt and, you know, even the big aid organisations can be quite corrupted. So it's a very small little agency. And right. my parents used to have a business that, did um, pumping, like pumps for right. big mines. So yep. very specialised engineering for water mm-hmm. uh, and fluid movement stuff. And so we would just go, all right, well, we know how to do this real cheap. They would fund a lot of the projects through the business so mm-hmm. that it was always like always doing something good with it. Yeah. And then us kids would just go over with mum and dad and we'd dig trenches for six weeks. Really? And yeah. And just do schooling, homeschooling? And no, 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 no. no just no, just like, hang out? Just um, we literally just like in school holidays, okay, we yeah. just go over there, dig trenches, lay pipes, <laughs> fucking build water tanks, paint shit, and like yeah, it was it was so the I've total done, opposite of what probably all your friends were doing. Yeah, over exactly. The school holidays. Yeah, hundred percent. So um, with that kind of background, like I, I really always had this thing of like I want to stick up for the underdog, mm. and it was I always was like you know I I don't want to. I never want to be one of those people who says, oh, well, I could have done this. Mm. Or, I had so much potential. Yeah. So longest way to answer the question, <laughs> um, I studied law and journalism, but I didn't finish okay. either. Right. Uh, because there is no justice in law. Mm-hmm. Law is a 
business and it is about setting precedent and making money and it takes a very long time and a lot of strength of character to get to a position where you can properly enact change. And make a difference, yeah. Mm. A lot of comedians have gone through law. Mm. There's a lot of different comics. I what did this. you study? I didn't study anything. I no? just I left school and became a chef. After really? School. Yeah, which was a waste Sorry. of time, really. Did, so you're a good cook then? Oh, I can cook, but I wouldn't say good. I, I'm competent, like mm. I can cook, yeah. But I don't have any passion for it. That's what the problem was. I didn't. I didn't have the passion. I was just thinking. I'll tell you what. It's probably lucky you didn't get into foreign correspondent. Did you see that guy get hit in the neck by the bullet from foreign correspondent? Jeez. He was. I think he was in like maybe Papua New Guinea or somewhere like that. Far enough. And he felt a sting in his neck, and he had a hole there. And they went and got the X-ray, and there was a bullet lodged in his neck. That is yeah. insane. He's still going though. He's, he's back on the job. And but see, that's the thing. Like, if you're exposing the truth, you know what I mean. Like, it's all about. It's got to be the odd bullet coming at you. Seriously, yeah. that that was like in my head. I was like, "Yeah, I'll have to cop some shit," but <laughs> that's how you get the. That's how you make the real change. Yeah, yeah. that was my whole thing. Mm. I, I I always just wanted to leave a legacy, not just a. Right. Which is so lame. It sounds really arrogant. I wanted to leave a legacy, but not not for anybody else, but just for me to feel like I've contributed yeah, to the yeah. world. I think it, I yeah. think most people feel that. Okay, and good. it's just whether they you know vocalize it or not. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. most people want to leave something. Yeah. Well, some don't, you know, yeah. but I think, yeah. True. yeah. <laughs> when did stand-up comedy first come into your life? It's actually very closely linked to that uni degree. Okay. Because um, I think it was two and a half years that I did uh, and I was just about to go into the next semester or it might have been two years and I was going into the third year of a four and a half year degree and I just had a weird breakdown i've always struggled a lot with anxiety okay uh, and i've always been prone to panic attacks and i think it's like once i got maybe over 16 i recognized that that probably wasn't normal Mm -hmm. 16 or 17 um and by the time i was i think so i graduated school at 16 so i was in uni at 17 Mm -hmm. so i think was yeah it must have been two years that i completed so by the time i was turning 19 I just I couldn't I couldn't go to uni. I was just panicking all the time about right. really stupid stuff and very very mentally unwell. And I knew that it was because I just felt lonely mm-hmm. at uni and I felt lost. You know, like I think um, I've always been a very idealistic person, mm-hmm. and I just always had this idea that everyone who I was going to meet was going to have the same mindset yeah. as me, and we were going to change the world together and. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe how competitive law was. Right. Um, and I was also annoyed at how easy journalism was to get good okay. marks. Yeah. Because I was like, why is it okay for people to just be able to write well? Don't you want somebody to like, oh, you know, like yeah. yearn and I'm very – Put heart and soul into Exactly. It. Yeah. Like why don't they care about heart and anyway, – mm. that's just me being weird. Um, and and was, so – Was part of it because you went from school as well where you were the everyone's friend – then it's oh. the uni where you maybe didn't know as many people. Was that a Absolutely. big part of that? Absolutely. Mm. Like I didn't know anyone. And um, also like I felt very um, uh, insecure because I I think just my personality type, for some reason people often think if, you, if, you, if you're loud and you're a bit kooky and a bit weird, people think you're a fuckwit. Like they think you're really dumb and mm. they don't take you seriously. Yeah. 
And so asking questions in class or like asking people for help, they'd kind of look at me and I just felt like everyone thought that it was my own head mm. but I felt like I was lower than everybody else right. because I went to UQ and everyone there goes like comes from private schools and, you know, um, people were like, oh, you came from Albany Creek and you're here. And it was yeah. just – it was so weird and it was honestly only a very few people but it was enough in my fragile little state of mind yeah. to just go, fuck this. But – as a response to that, and my nana had just passed away, um, which there's actually a funny story related to that, even <laughs> though that sounds really fucking morbid. I'm just going to quickly tell that because yeah. it does make me laugh. How fucked is this, right? This is my family's weird sick sense of humour. Like I think one of us had to do something with humour, <laughs> otherwise we were all just yeah. psychopaths. So we were all there when my nana, nana died, right? We were all in the room and um, she had this thing as she was getting really sick about – she didn't want to be seen without her teeth in mm-hmm. because she was on had radiation and stuff. Her teeth had fallen out and she just was terrified about being seen without her teeth in. Anyway, so we're all in the room there and we hear her take her last breath, right? It was awful. It was really, really mm. sad. And then my dad, obviously not knowing how to deal with the situation, mm-hmm. tries to make everyone feel better. He, I'm talking like she's just died <laughs> and we're waiting on the doctor to come in to call it, right? And he runs over and he goes, Mum, your teeth are out. You look like a fucking moron. I'm like, Dad. And he's going, oh, you watch this. You reckon if I tickle her feet she'll wake up? She's just faking. We're like, oh, my God, stop touching her, Dad. Like, he's there tickling a dead woman. It was so. <laughs> it was kind of like, it is funny. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but that's our weird sense of humor. Like, really that. I like to picture a nurse or someone there at the time watching this. I was just <laughs> like, what's oh happening? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and all of us kind of like laugh crying. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she left about two grand to me and her inheritance and I had decided at that point that um, because I was too anxious to do any of the normal shit in life, the only way I was going to get over that was if I removed all safety nets mm-hmm. and gave myself a proper big like a situation that I should have anxiety in mm-hmm. and then just deal with it. Right. And so I just booked return tickets to London for four months and no accommodation mm-hmm. and I was like, you'll figure it out, you know. Go for it. And um, it that trip changed my entire life. I've never ever like because what ended up happening is, um, and I'll show you. Obviously, it's a podcast, but I got this little tattoo. Yeah, um, little snowman. It's a snowman saying "Why not?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, his name is Maximilian. Um, <laughs> but basically, I went to go and stay with a friend of mine in Nottingham, and she said I could stay there for as long as I wanted. And then, like two days later, she goes, "Shit, Steph, you have to leave." Right? I was like, "Oh, well, great." And as things always go like this, like internet was down university wide because I was staying, I was just sleeping on the floor in her, like on campus. So internet's down uh, uni wide. I ran out of credit that day and I had nothing booked, obviously, right? Mm. So she tells me at about, I don't know, five or six in the afternoon. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll leave now. And she's like, I mean, you can stay if you want. I'm like, all right, well, fuck you. I'm leaving now. (laughs) We had had a weird, it was just. We met each other in Bolivia okay. and then being there with her again, it was like, oh, we actually so don't know each other. <laughs> Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like it was it was actually quite yeah. awkward and I think she was stressed with uni so she was just like, fuck it, please leave. Yeah. Like <laughs> I've just got a stranger sleeping on the floor in yeah. my room. And so I said, oh, look, just call me a cab. I'll sort something out. I got in the cab and I started stressing out. I was like, no, 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 this is a great opportunity to see what you're capable of. This was maybe the first week out of a huge trip. And I said, uh, 
to the cabbie, all right, take me to the train station. I got to the train station. I had like this moment where I was a bit frozen and I went, never get the chance to do this again. I walked up to the train station like the guy and I went, next train, absolutely anywhere. This is how much money I've got. Make it cheaper than that. Literally the next one. And he's like, are you fucking serious? I went, yep. And he goes, all right, platform three, run. And I just made it onto the train in time. Didn't even look where I was going. Like I said, I don't want to know. And then I ended up in Leeds at about <laughs> 10 at night <laughs> of all places. Yeah. And um, I obviously didn't have anywhere to stay and no credit and all this sort of shit, right? So when I got to the train station, I just got in a cab and I said, I need to find some accommodation. It has to be cheaper than this. So mm-hmm. um, we ended up finding this one place. And honestly, it's this is so silly and it's probably just the way that my mind has remembered it afterwards, but it was like a movie moment, right? We yeah. found this one area and I was over the moon because it was maybe a three-hour train trip or something like that. And I just was elated. Like I wasn't nervous. I was happy, right? And we pull up into this little bed and breakfast. It's got the, the how much it costs that night. And I'm like, okay, that's the place. We're going to stay there. We start pulling into the driveway and we see the woman coming over and turning it over to saying closed. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, no, no. Like hand out the window going, wait, wait, wait. And I get over there and she's like coolest person I don't even I don't even remember exactly what she looks like but I'll never ever forget any of that moment Mm. of meeting her and she looks at me and I must have had this creepy smile on her she goes take your stuff upstairs come back down I need to talk to you and I was like oh fuck and um then she just she just said what's your story and I went what do you what do you mean what's my story and she said hey I can always tell if somebody's got a story to tell really yeah she said, oh, I said, yeah. what do you mean by what's my story? And she goes, whatever comes to your mind, you have a story to tell and I need to hear it. And it was the most bizarre, like, movie. Absolutely. You know? That is a movie script right there. Fucking oath, yeah. right? And so we stayed up talking in the bar on site until, like, four in the morning. And I told her everything. I told her all the shit mm. that I'd been through, all of my, you know, panic and all that sort of stuff. And she was, she was really young. She was, like, 32. And she goes... Uh, and I was 19 at the time. She says, you know what? We spend so much of our lives thinking about the what's happened and the what might happen. Mm. We never just live in the moment. Anytime that you get an opportunity, the only thing you should ever say is why not? Mm. She said, I've lived in seven different countries in my life because when an opportunity comes, you say, why not? And hell? that's why I got the tattoo. That right? is such a good story. What a yeah. way to overcome anxiety as well. Fucking like oath. doing that, just going to the train station. Yep. Running, it's almost like you could prescribe that to people with anxiety. Yeah. Like, come come over to London with me. I'll put you on a train. You don't know where it's going. Exactly. Sort yourself out. Yeah. Well, because you can't stress. No, you've just got to. Because there's, like, anxiety is that, like, imagined threat. Yeah. If you can't even imagine it. But it's also coming from, and it comes from the idle mind as well. Where exactly. Where you're just, yeah, you're flying through and you have to make decisions on the run. Exactly. Fight or flight sort of situations. 100%. And God. then. For the rest of the trip, I told everybody who I met, I can only say why not, so let's do something cool that you've always wanted to do. Amazing. And so I did some weird shit, man. I did some weird (laughs) stuff. But I did this little tour of Ireland and met some Australians and one of them said, fuck, Steph, you should do stand-up comedy. And Mm -hmm. I was like, fuck that. You could literally ask me to do anything else. And they're like, (laughs) but it's not going to kill you and you're not going to get arrested and it's not hard drugs and that's those were your three caveats. (laughs) So why not? And I was like, fucking hell. Um, <laughs> this why not thing's come back to get Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but 
I mean, yeah, like, do it still. you know? Mm. And so I rocked up in this this random bar. Sorry, this is a very long story. I know that. Right. Um, I rocked up at this random bar and um, stood on a chair and made some shit up for 10 minutes. Said, mm-hmm. if I'm any good, buy us a drink. If I'm shit, I will fucking know and I'll walk out of here with my tail between my legs. And I had drinks from everybody on the bar. And <laughs> it was fucking awesome. Why you went? Yeah. And then I did one spot at home. And then I did one spot the next year just for fun sort of thing. And then um, I entered Deadly Funny and then I won the fucker. Yeah, 2014. Yeah, and then I moved here for two years. Right. So Deadly Funny, anyone listening, is a competition run by the Comedy Festival, Melbourne International Mm -hmm. Comedy Festival for Aboriginal performers and Torres Strait Islanders. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's everyone in the Deadly Funny, isn't it? That they include? Yeah. And you've won that 2014. Some great names have won that competition. Yeah. Both fellas that are on the All-Stars have won that, haven't they? No, Kev did. Kev did. did he Andy, win the first one, Kev? Yeah, I think 2008, I think it was mm. the first one, yeah. yeah. And uh, Andy has been like a facilitator and a yeah. mentor and stuff through it. So, Gee, That must so have been cool. a buzz winning that. It was just ridiculous because mm. I went, nah, there's no way. This is my – I think it was – by the time I did the final, it was my seventh or eighth ever gig. Yeah. And I was like – what the fuck? Because <laughs> it just felt like such a professional show to be a part of. Because yeah. um, it's town hall, isn't it? Mm, like yeah, a yeah, couple yeah. of thousand people. Bit different oh, to it. No, no. Well, back then, it's changed so much in the last, um, was it how many years ago was that then? Five years. Five, yeah. It's changed so much. So when I did it, it was like 200 people in somewhere like the powder room yeah. uh, in town hall. And then last year, the, the year before, we sold out the arts centre. Mm-hmm. Um, and then last or this year, sorry, it was um, a sellout at the Forum Theatre. Yeah. So it's grown into this thing. It's been televised the last couple of years. Yeah. Like, it's so cool because you never heard the kind of story. Like, they're just different stories. Absolutely, yeah. You know? Totally so, different. So um, cool. When you won that, did you think, oh, I might be able to have a crack at this? Is it yes. something a bit more serious? Yeah. Well, that's mm. exactly what happened in my brain. I went, all right, you know what? I'm, I'm a bit airy-fairy like this. So I went, hey, the universe seems to be telling me that this is a path that I could not avoid. Like mm. every weird thing that had happened. Because the only reason why I entered Deadly, by the way, was because my cousin worked for NITV. They were doing a story on it. We lived together at the time and she went, shit, I forgot to do any prep. <laughs> I need to record interviews can you just enter so I can interview you? (laughs) And then I won that heat and then I won the final. So it was like I wasn't going to enter. I rocked up on the day because she was like, shit, I need your help. So all of these things all kind of like my brain said, oh, I think this is maybe what I'm meant to be doing. Mm. And I've still got that opportunity to tell the truth and to to always be true to everything that I've ever believed in Mm. in a very different way, in a way that makes me much happier. Well, Um, yeah, you're still, you know, for a correspondent, or stand up, you still have a microphone exactly. and a voice, exactly, and you can say what you think, can't you? A hundred percent. And you can be dangerous. You can push boundaries. Mm. I don't give a fuck if I lose my career because I've said something. Probably more in stand up you know? than foreign correspondent. Exactly. You know, you're not getting edited live. Mm-hmm. You can say whatever you feel. Exactly. And I, I truly like. I'm never ever going to forget what it's about for me. Mm. And you know, it's so much bigger than just the stage. And that's why I'm like, you know what? I'll know when my time's come, mm. like when it, when it's time to stop, but I don't think it's time to stop right now. And I, when I moved to Edinburgh, it was because I was too ashamed to gig in front of my family and friends right. in case <laughs> yeah. I was shit, right? So I pretty much started comedy here yeah, wow. in Edinburgh at the stand. You're listening to Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell.
Hey, before we go back to the podcast, I want to tell you about someone. That someone is Melbourne-based photographer Nicole Reed. One of the most sought-after photographers going around, Nicole has taken photos for all sorts of people. Comedians like Peter Hellier and Ann Edmonds, musical acts like the Hilltop Hoods, and sports stars like Buddy Franklin. If you want to see how great her work is, I suggest you head over to her Instagram page. It's Nicole Reed Photographer. While you're at it, you may as well jump on her website, which is www.nicolereed.photography. Get in contact and book in a shoot today. Now let's get back to the podcast. Yeah. So you did a couple of years over this way. Yeah. Then you head home. Mm. Uh, then 2018 last year, you had a ripper year. Mm. You got uh, – it was a weekly award at Adelaide Fringe. Mm-hmm. One, uh, got nominated Best Newcomer at Melbourne International mm-hmm. Comedy Festival with your solo show Identity Steft. Very you. good. Very, it's very <laughs> clever. I know. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> had any Aboriginal uh, performers been nominated for Best Newcomer no. in Melbourne? before? so first time. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah. So in these last sort of – you've come here, you come back to Australia, 2018 is great. Now 2019, you've had another ripper year. Mm. Uh, was there a point in this time – I know, you, you know you've know, you always said you wanted to get your message across mm. and parts of your life and mm. your upbringing. And mm. was there times in there in this last few years where you thought, hey, I can do more than just gags up here. I could really – you know, get this message across. Absolutely. And you sort of get you get more confident with what you want to say mm-hmm. and you just think, fuck, I'm going to say whatever I like. Yeah. Do you think you're at that stage now where you think I'm, I'm going to stir this right up and give them, um, give them hell? Probably a couple more. Like I think I need a little bit more confidence. But in saying that, my solo shows, I think you've just always got the more – you've got way more opportunities mm. to do that. So my show last year, Identity Steft, was pretty fucking brutal. Mm. Um, and not brutal in the way that you might be thinking either because I, I don't really have that in me, but it was so personal and so like I wanted everyone to know what that struggle felt like for me or how I feel living in two worlds, one where, you know, like there are parts of Australia where the culture is alive and strong and amazing, mm. but my people, Yudinji people, we're from up North Queensland way, mm-hmm. um, rainforest mob we are, and we're, um, I'm actually from a, a clan called Dugabari Yudinji. Mm-hmm. And it's really sad because the Yidin language, which is that whole nation, um, we don't really have access to it very much anymore. We don't have, uh, we don't have access to traditional dance, uh, to traditional songs or anything like that. And trying to get that back... Or trying to just get that so I can pass it on to the next generations, mm. it takes so much time. Like you have to say, all right, cool, this is such a big part of me and it runs through my blood mm. and it's important to me. So I have to go up and spend maybe six months on country, you know, my feet on, on the soil of my land. I have to go spend time with my elders and my old people and learn everything that I possibly can. And then you go, Fuck, I also have to live a life, earn money, get a career going. And it's so difficult. Mm. And then you don't want to lose it. And people will always question your – they'll question your Aboriginality. Like, you're not black enough or you're too black or you're – you know, like it's it's really hard. Is that Aboriginal people would question that or is it both? White and black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What what do you think it was, like you're saying, that the dance got taken away and Mm. you don't get a chance with your local – the language mm. is it just people moving away from the area, or um, Australian with the white culture going through and it's a it's a changing it all. Or 
it's a little bit of everything, I guess, but the main thing is um, so when the when the Assimilation Act was in was in place, so when the when the stolen generation and stuff was happening, you could get exemption cards so that the kids wouldn't get taken, mm-hmm. but to get an exemption card so your kids weren't stolen from you, you had to promise to never speak language. Yeah. You had to promise you would never hunt, do anything traditional. Um, and as soon as you do that and then you, it's it's one of these really – there was this beautiful, beautiful white man that kind of took in my great-granddad and when he was a kid and he said, look, things are going to be really hard for you unless you learn how to appease the white man. Mm. And he was a really kind man, right? He's, he's the reason why the surname of my mob is Stuart. Mm. Um, it was a Scottish family that lived up there. Um, and he said, I don't want you to face difficulties in your life. So dress like this, blah, 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 blah. And it was such a – you know that it was a kind gesture of him going, don't let them steal you or kill you or whatever. Mm. But as a result, like, you know, he had to – he had to leave that behind. And yeah. And over time it would be coming, you know, the, the generations would do it, probably do it more and more. Exactly. Because they're getting pushed to do it more and more. Exactly. And if that seems like that's your only way to survive, mm. then then that's what happens, you know. And so to save those kids, the price was culture. Mm. Um, of course you can't, you can't take culture, you know, but – it's like with anything, you know. If you're not if you're not regularly practicing language, it's very hard to keep it as strong as it would have originally been. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's a lot of yeah. There's a that's quite a similar story throughout. I guess the the east coast of Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of because that's kind of where settlers came first and where all of that sort of stuff happened first. And it's it's actually really um, fascinating to me. Like I'd like to learn more because. The story of like West Coast of Australia, Central Australia and East Coast is all completely different. Mm. We have areas of of South Australia and of Central Australia and um, like Arnhem Land, Northern Territory, Western Australia that have just got so much culture and so much rich traditions, but they're fucked and not looked after by the government. Mm. And then you've got... On the East Coast, you've got a lot of people like me who are coming through now going, fuck, I really identify with my history and my heritage, yeah. but how do I get it and still yeah. live in both of these worlds? worlds yeah. Um, and identity theft, I think I was really fucking just really open and quite raw and vulnerable with exactly how that felt and feeling like you've got to stick up for, like, yeah, basically mm. my life would be a lot easier if I told people I was Italian. Um <laughs> But I'm not going to. No. Nah. You know. And were you seeing people uh, squirm in their chairs at being uncomfortable at hearing these things when you did identity theft? Like in Adelaide, yeah. yes. <laughs> Honestly, it was yeah. so fucked, Different man. There. Yeah. Yeah. In Melbourne, it was weird. I had a very. Uh, different audience to what I would have hoped. I think because right. I was at the Malt House, and um, uh, I think kind of people who like. Woke academics, mm, <laughs> heaps of them in, yeah. <laughs> and so they wouldn't necessarily squirm, yeah. Um, but they wouldn't necessarily laugh, yeah. <laughs> um, but they'd be. I always had people crying during the show, and, right? Because I just, um, sort of, yeah, just pulled back the layers, and mm. obviously I tried to be funny with it, but it was also my first show, so the way I've done it now is very different. Like, mm. I've worked on that show a lot because I still tour it, but that 
first time I ever did it, I don't know, fucking hell. Yeah. First night I ever did it, some weird shit came out that I didn't know was going to come out. Yeah. And it was just like a, a pouring of absolute truth, you know? Mm. Is it is it tricky trying to get your message, like such strong messages like that across, mm. but be funny at the same time? Yes and no. Finding that balance? Uh no, if you do it real silly, like mm. it's it's fucking easy enough to the only thing is I don't like making white people feel too uncomfortable because mm. it's actually not the aim. Like I I like I have a joke about, you know, white guilt and that and I say, Well, just remember like it wasn't just taken from us, it was also taken from you guys. Like mm. who the fuck chooses beers and pies over like <laughs> Aboriginal dance and didgeridoos and you know what I mean? Like it was taken from everyone. But it's it's really hard because I think as much as you can break things down and tell truths to people, you also don't want to make them feel defensive because that's when we the message stops going in. Mm. Um which means you have to be about ten times funnier or ten times more original, and yes, actually, you know what? Yes, it is fucking hard. I yeah. just realised. <laughs> <laughs> with with stand up, you as the years go on, you get better at performing. Mm. So I think that that'll all just come. You over the years, you'll just work out a really nice way mm. to get your message through. Well, the know. more serious it is, the more silly the punchline has to be. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I I, I did a bit about like. Um, Talking about, you know, losing culture or something. I said, oh, look, I'm not saying that white people don't have culture. I mean, you guys have got, you know, colonisation and varicose veins. And it's just <laughs> so dumb. Like, there's yeah. why. Yeah. But for some reason, people laugh at that. That yeah. you can, You've kind of wedged the rest in. <laughs> yeah. They're going, varicose veins. <laughs> That's silly. You yeah. know what I mean? Or like the smashed avo joke. Mm, yeah. Which is so ridiculous <laughs> that at least I'm teaching people not to say the Worse, do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. 2019, mm-hmm. this year, with you mm-hmm. are currently in, sitting here in Edinburgh, been another fantastic year for yourself. You did the Melbourne International Comedy Festival Gala. With yourself, fir- with me, yes. Yeah, yeah for, uh, for the first time mm-hmm. at the Palais in St Kilda this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, how was that experience for you? Fucked. <laughs> I don't know. Did you enjoy it? I couldn't well, enjoy it. I was that first, nervous. Yeah, it was my second one, so mm. I was a little bit more in the moment. Enjoying the night, but the first one, mm. I remember just it was a blue. I don't remember. Yeah, much. I couldn't. You couldn't like conversation. I couldn't remember what I talked about with anyone that night. Me neither. I have no a, idea. Mm. I sat out the front, getting weirdly emotional and <laughs> chain smoking because I was so overwhelmed. When they told me I got it, I called up Susan and I went, "Is this a fucking joke? Because it's not funny." She was like, "No, Steph. Like we want you there." I was like, "Why?" I was very excited. <laughs> it went great. Had a great set. Yeah, mm. it went better than expected. Mm. I remember walking off stage and going, oh, it wasn't that great too. You know, like when you're, especially in theatres like that, when the laughs go to the roof and you're not really sure if you've nailed it the way you wanted to nail it. But I, I think I did all right, yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. Uh, you, did, you didn't do a solo show this year anyway, did no, you? No, I did. Did you? Yeah. Did you do one in Melbourne? Yeah. Did it's you? called The Pyramid. The Pyramid. I sold out the entire run. Oh it was God. insane. That's fantastic. Like, that was off the back of the yeah, clip, wasn't it? Yeah, because that yeah. stupid clip went viral. <laughs> I know, it's so weird. Yeah. Uh, did you just do it in Melbourne? Mm. Yeah. I haven't done it anywhere else. I no. don't think I will. It was so not stand-up. Right. It was, actually. It was about international development. Like, it was, 
It was. I had stupid. Your foreign slides. correspondent coming back there. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it wasn't originally set out to be like that. It was a really like it was a concept show, and I had slides. It was like twenty minutes on twenty minutes on ocean life. I, I actually <laughs> loved the show. To be fair, I was like really proud of it. But um, it was weird as fuck. I like that you fooled. The public with your viral video into coming into seeing you and then you're just like, check out these dolphins. <laughs> Pretty much though. So much dolphin chat. It was no, I loved it. I really loved it because it was um it was all about the idea of uh so Susan Boyle was in there. So I covered Susan Boyle, <laughs> sharks, pilchards, like Oh, how um, if you take selfies with black kids, it's really good for your social media. Like <laughs> the whole show was really weird, but it was all about the idea of um, power structures and where yeah. we fit right. and uh, how, you know, people don't like success but also mm. people don't like a lack of success. It was just all about showing these completely yeah. whatever and then at the end we just danced in the room. <laughs> where, did, where did pilchards fit in the well, scheme of things? In the stupidest fucking joke you've ever heard that takes 20 minutes to set up. Now, I personally think it's worth it. Um, no, it was in this stupid bit about, like, the food chain. It was actually the deepest message that I had, um, weirdly enough. So I told this story about the pilchards and about how pilchards, um, you just think they're lame little fish, but they travel halfway across the world to have their babies. Uh-huh. What they do is they travel halfway across the world, they have a massive orgy and then they just fuck off and leave the babies. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't have kids but that feels ideal. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. Um, but then they do this funny thing where to fend off predators, they spin around in a huge circle and it's all about teamwork. I think I've seen that on Attenborough before. Yes, mm. yes. And then I was like, that would be a great – that's a great coping skill. I wish I could just turn around in a circle if I felt intimidated and then I come back and they're like, where did she go? <laughs> you know? um, but then the whole thing was I, I really embedded this this message about like how why people are depressed these days and it's that idle mind thing you were talking about. Mm. It's like when we've got nothing to do and nothing to strive for, then we become – we focus too heavily on, mm. on what's – we're basically bored yeah. and, um, and we're not – striving in the same way that we have before plus we've got competition to look at and i was like man if you think you've got existential dread imagine realizing you ate your sister in the womb you know <laughs> and then so i'd go you know sharks are at the top of the the food chain but i think we all know they're at the bottom of the mood chain yeah. it's just so lame but it was like it was i just gave heaps of stats on like yeah. depression and mental illness right. and, and the idea of like when we become too individualistic we fuck ourselves because the pilchards are having the best time of their lives. <laughs> They'll outlive these fucking sharks, yeah. you know. But it was all about the idea of what we see as success yeah. versus what actual success looks like. <laughs> so weirdly, big part of the show. I like that a lot. <laughs> I really like that. <laughs> yeah. um, it was a fun show. Do you think you would ever bring a solo back here maybe next year? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm definitely bringing a solo here. I haven't even... I think, like, I've decided what I'm going to do for next year's solo show. Actually, I've got, like, two years decided in my head. I haven't written them. Mm-hmm. but So I'm going to do one called Baby Beryl. That's a great name. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> do you know why? Okay, so I'm, like, obsessed with the idea of, you know when you meet kids that have, like, old people names? Mm-hmm. And it's becoming, like, fashionable again and yeah. it drives me insane. Charlie's come back big time, hasn't it? Yeah, Charlie, Charlie is kind of cute. I guess Archie? I can see that one. Archie, that's a weird one. Mm. Um yeah, there's not many barrels. Can you imagine a baby Sharon? 
Sharon, I haven't seen a sh- yeah. Or a baby Trish. <laughs> that one kills me. Can you imagine naming a baby Trish? Margaret? Margaret. No, that's back. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. Oh. Like Maggie. Maggie, of yeah. course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So I was just having a laugh at this one time and me and my friend started Googling like names that have gone out of fashion and um, did you know there hasn't been a Beryl in Australia for 14 years, <laughs> which means there's a 14-year-old Beryl in Australia. That's <laughs> and so I want to make this whole thing, this show is just about finding baby Beryl. That's great. And then just doing, like making it like a, a really stupid chat show, and having yeah. a talk show, but only on people's names. Like yeah. that being the end to really weird, deep questions and comedy is just like, so tonight is the Sharon show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just getting various different Sharons up. It would be fantastic if you could find Beryl. That's and my whole little, just dream. Just a one-on-one chat. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. Just be like, Beryl, you're 14. <laughs> Your name's Beryl. Yeah. Do you get teased? How's life? Yeah. And if you're not getting teased, the people around you are lame. Like, <laughs> Bezza. Yeah, baby bears. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, do you, what do your family think about your comedy success so far? How do they – Do they uh, have, you, have you performed in front of your, yeah. your family? Yeah. I give so much shit to my mum. Only when she's in the room, though. I actually don't do that much comedy about my family, weirdly enough. Um, I mean, I could. They're very funny. So funny. I think they all all thought that I'd do something Mm. like that anyway. They've always just been like, just full of ambition and fucking drive and like love. I just, I'm so obsessed with people. Yeah. I think I've always had like a, and I hate saying this as well, Regardless of whether I recognise it or not, the one thing that people have always fed back to my parents is that uh, I've got a good presence on stage. Mm-hmm. So I think they always thought that that would probably be something that I'd. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Whether it be foreign correspondent. Yeah. Or drama. Or exactly. Yeah. Because I loved that shit. Yeah. 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 I think you could do a foreign correspondent show one year, <gasps> and wear like a army helmet and a flak jacket on stage oh my god it's so good do the whole thing have green screen behind you like a war scene and you well thank you dropping ideas there that's Uh, a great idea i'm happy to direct it if you need to thank you so much (laughs) well uh all the best for the rest of edinburgh fringe thank you so much and you guys are off to the soho in london as well so all the best for that that'll be unreal No, hopefully next year I want to try and get on yeah. Soho. Should be nice. Yeah. Uh, well, oh, thank you so much, Dan. No worries. Well, yeah, thanks very much for taking it easy with me today. No worries. Cheers. All right, see ya. Hey, thanks very much for listening. You can get around Steph on Twitter, at Steph Tisdall. Also on Instagram, at Steph Tisdall. You just search up Stephanie Tisdall. She'll come up on all the different platforms. You can also check out her website, which is stephtisdall.com. Tisdall spelled T-I-S-D-E-L-L. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends. They'd be much appreciated. Uh, there's heaps of more episodes before this one and more to come, uh, coming weekly. So subscribe on Apple uh, Podcasts, the old iTunes, or check out Spotify. It's on there as well. Or my website, danielconnell.com.au, under the podcast section. So tell your friends about that. If you're on any of the ones where you can subscribe, give it a little like or a comment. That'd be much appreciated. While you're on my website, danielconnell.com.au, you can check out my gigs page for all my upcoming stand-up shows. And if you're in a real liking mood, check out my Facebook page, Daniel Connell Comedy, and my Instagram, which is also Daniel Connell Comedy, and give those both a like. That'd be much appreciated. That's about it for this week. Thanks very much, and take it easy.